Hey, it's Johanna Masca, and this week on Press Advance, Washington has me really depressed. I don't know if anybody saw the news, but one member of Congress who had an interesting frustration with Kevin McCarthy decided to call a vote on the Speaker of the House. This member, Matt Gates, was also in trouble at one point under investigation for sex trafficking. This fight has Washington stopped. What does that mean? That means our funding is not being approved. The important debates are not being approved. The Republican who took over for the Speaker of the House, his first move was not to find a new Speaker of the House. He tried to kick Nancy Pelosi out of a ceremonial office. It's so frustrating. I remember back during the 2020 election cycle, before the pandemic, I watched Andrew Yang on the stage in Los Angeles. And I remember thinking, this guy has heart. I met Carrie Healy, who is now joined forces with Andrew Yang as part of the Forward Party. I met her at an event recently, and I talked to her. She was a lieutenant governor for Mitt Romney, and we were talking about politics, and we had so much in common. And so in the midst of this depressing Washington drama, I wanted to check in with Andrew and Carrie and learn what they're up to and what could be our possibility that isn't so dark as Washington is this week. I set up this interview, Carrie, by texting you and saying, Washington is a mess right now. I need something that's not depressing. So can we talk about the forward party? And we will get there. But first, we should talk about what's happening in Washington. Andrew, you've for a long time been studying, you know, kind of what leads to a Matt Gates type getting elected and having the power to essentially stop Washington from any action, remove a speaker, and now cause chaos. What What's going on? How did we get here to this in Washington today? Thanks, Johanna. Uh, it's a, a lot of it's about incentives. Uh, so how the heck do we know who Matt Gates is? Uh, you know, he's an ideologue. He's a flamethrower. He goes on cable news. He's got this uh, support base underneath him. And he doesn't need to answer really to 51% of his constituents. He just needs to answer to the 10% of the most ideological that vote in his primary. The fact is that 90% of congressional districts today are drawn to be non-competitive in the general. So the only incentive structure you have is to please the base. And that's how you end up with a Matt Gates who feels invulnerable and can do something like vacate the, the speaker. And Carrie, you've worked in Republican politics for a long time. You were Mitt Romney's lieutenant governor. You know some of these folks. What are they saying? I think what's really important to realize is what, what Andrew was getting at, which is that we wouldn't have this Congress, we wouldn't have this kind of polarization if we didn't have the primary system that we do around the country. And you know, we shouldn't be surprised what we have in front of us. If you look at a, a state like Massachusetts, people always ask me, how is it that you have these moderate Republicans leading a state that is viewed, and I think correctly viewed, as being pretty monolithically blue? And yet again and again, moderate Republicans, uh, people who are socially progressive, but economically very solid and conservative, why are they chosen again and again? It's because of our primary system. It's because we have open primaries and we have 
at this point in time, 60% of the voters in Massachusetts are not registered as either Republicans or Democrats. And so, yes, most of them identify as, as Democrats in their hearts, and that's where they vote most of the time. But if there's a candidate that they think would do a good job for the country or for the state, then they'll elect that candidate. And so around the country, most states don't have that option. Most of the time when they're going to the ballot box to elect someone like Matt Gates, you know, that primary process has already flushed out anybody who isn't going to be that extreme because it's just that 10% of the most ardent voters who go and vote in those primaries. So literally our entire Congress is chosen by that 10% fringe on either side. Well, we've been talking about that in press advance because I think a lot of people don't pay attention to how the candidates are actually elected. It's not just a popularity contest. Donald Trump doesn't have more than 50 percent of the Republican electorate, but he normally doesn't. Right. He has a small percentage of a small percentage who actually show up. And right now, the Republicans are stacking it even further, in some cases, removing primary access altogether and saying it's going to be a caucus. The Democrats are doing their own business to basically ensure that their incumbent is the candidate. And so now we've got this situation. I mean, Andrew, you ran in two different Democratic establishment primaries. I mean, I've with Obama, we played the delegate math and it was a hard slog, but we eventually won with a candidate who said there wasn't red states and blue states. And turns out there still are. Um, and yet, you know, you then ran in New York, which is one of those states, I'd compare California, where it's kind of like the establishment kind of party operation that controls everything. And so did you feel like you ever got a fair shake? And what do you think, you know, what was the problem with those two elections? You know, uh, Johanna, you and I were musing, reminiscing about Iowa. You know what percentage of Iowans voted in the Democratic caucus that I was a part of in 2020? No, how many? 6.5%. Um, so if, if you were in a typical diner or whatnot, the odds that anyone you were talking to actually might be in the caucus are, you know, less than 10%. And we imagine that that's representative. The fact is, And you just described it like the Democrats aren't having a true primary this time. They're not having debates. They're just saying, look, everyone, the fix is in. And on the Republican side, Trump does have his, let's call it 40 percent. But 40 percent shouldn't make him inevitable. Unfortunately, in our current system, it kind of does. The fact is that two thirds of Americans aren't excited about either Biden or Trump in in a rematch. And they're going to be a combined 160 years old in 2024. So the unrepresentative nature of our political system is becoming more and more apparent to people. And the question is, how do we build our way out of it? And that's what Carrie and I and Christy Todd Whitman and Chris Novoselic and a bunch of other people are making happen with Forward because, and here's a frustration I will share. A lot of people now sense, okay, it's not working. It's dysfunctional. It's broken. The question is, what do we do? And if you say, look, people will come back to their senses, I mean, you've been waiting for that for quite some time. And, and unfortunately, the incentives are getting worse, not better. So the, the only way out is to build our way out. And that's what Carrie and I are working on. So tell me, what is Forward Party? What does it stand for? Right now, it's going to be a new home for that almost half of Americans who don't really feel that either party is working for them and who know that we can have a better route. So we're building a place where candidates can come. We're building a place where voters can come uh, who, who want to have their vote count for something. And so we have principles 
the, uh, on the national level. We obviously care about the Constitution. We, we only want candidates who support the Constitution and support democracy. We shouldn't even have to say these things, but we're going to say them out loud so that it's very clear you know, who we're in, inviting to the forward party. We want candidates who are going to be collaborative. We want candidates who are going to be able to work across the aisle to solve the great problems that we have in the country. And normally when you ask someone, what does your party stand for? You expect a, a laundry list of, you know, here's where we stand on immigration. Here's where we stand on gun control. Here's where we stand on health care. And we will have those policies rise up from the grassroots and from our candidates themselves. But more importantly, whether they're center left, center right or beyond, you know, what's important is that they're going to collaborate and they're going to look for the best solutions to these issues for the American people. And that's a spirit that's been lost. And so we're using that as our starting point. And we're just starting. We just had our first birthday and we're just uh, sorry, moving on. We're gathering momentum. Johanna, here's one solution that a lot of Americans are talking about because of some of the issues we're confronting. Term limits for members of Congress. I know it's something that three quarters of Americans are for. People don't love sending folks to D.C. and then having them be there for decades on end and then, and then, and then actually having debates as to, oh, like, is this person fit to serve? Uh, another thing that's a solution, let's get rid of the primary system in various states and make it so that every person's vote actually matters. And there was a ballot initiative in Nevada that passed 5347, even though both the Democrats and Republicans were against it, that says that anyone can vote for any candidate all parties. Now, the parties were against it because it makes it, frankly, less controllable for them. But voters like it because voters get to vote for whomever they want. And if you think about how that kind of ballot initiative is going to pass in Nevada or in Arizona, where it's going to be on the ballot in 24, it's not going to come from the two major parties. It's going to come from patriots and citizens just want things to work better. And that is what the forward party is all about. We're about creating a home, as Kerry said, for Americans who just want things to work better. And a platform for those candidates. You know, you, you people can't come out and run for office if they don't have funders, if they don't have structure around them, if they don't have a ballot access, right? Right now, the two major parties are controlling ballot access in such a, you know, a severe way that, you know, people are out there thinking like, well, I'd like to do something, but I don't know how to do it. How can I even present myself to the voters? And so that, that's, a, that's a problem that we need to solve. That was going to be my next question, Carrie, is the problem of money, money and politics and like, how do we actually change this? I mean, you talk about Nevada, Andrew, and it's a perfect example of where the people now have voted that they want to vote on their candidates and the Republican Party has just decided they are going to incentivize people. The delegates are not being rewarded by that primary system. They're going to be rewarded in a closed door caucus process that each candidate has to pay $55,000. When I ran for president, the Democratic Party in New Hampshire said, hey, in order to speak at our big event, you have to buy our list and give, I think it was like $50,000. And then there were at least a couple of candidates who didn't want to play ball. And guess what? They weren't, <laughs> they weren't allowed to speak at the various events. So shocker to Americans everywhere, these parties run on money. <laughs> and so you're, you're right that, uh, that in order to upset the apple cart, we're going to need resources. That ballot initiative in Nevada wasn't free. You know, some Americans had to come and say, you know what, I think this is better for the country. The same thing is happening in Arizona this cycle. We are 
raising money for a ballot initiative that would turn off the primaries in Arizona. In Arizona, you're seeing extremism rise up in a very, very noxious and dangerous way. It's one reason why a lot of folks who, frankly, were business leaders or moderate Republicans in Arizona said, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and, 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 and now, yeah. and now they're, they're funding a change in process that would restore rationality. I want to just raise the fact that Alaska got rid of its party primaries in 2020. And then in 22, you had Sarah Palin lose to an anonymous state legislator named Mary Peltola, which I'm going to suggest is a real gift. And Lisa Murkowski prevailed over a Trump-endorsed challenger after Lisa bravely voted to impeach Trump. So you see better incentives and better candidates prevailing if you have a better system. You're right about that, Andrew. And yet it took days for us to find out who won in those contests. Does America have the patience for ranked choice voting contests to wait on who will be the victor? Hey, I'll wait all week for Sarah Palin to lose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think we just have to get used to these new approaches. You know, we don't have, as a, as a party, we don't have a preference, whether it's top five or ranked choice or open primaries. Or, you know, we, we just want democracy to work better. And each state, you know, will have its own flavor of, you know, how does the voting work best here? I know there's, you know, more initiatives coming forward. So is it accurate to say the forward party right now today is really focused on structural reforms at the state level? Or are you looking to recruit candidates to run in in different contests? The answer is both and, Johanna. We've already enlisted 36 mayors, state legislators, county executives, city commissioners, who, frankly, are sick of apologizing for one team or the other and being asked about things that their job has nothing to do with very often because, unfortunately, so much of our politics has become nationalized and uh, ideological. And we think we can get to 50, 100, 200, 500 local candidates in the next number of weeks because, and this is through recruitment. These are sitting officials. These are not candidates. We're going to be helping candidates too. Now, frankly, the success rate of those candidates is likely to be very low. Um, It's one reason why people think that the two-party system has everything locked up. But there are 500,000 plus locally elected officials around the country and tens of thousands of them are in nonpartisan positions. I'm talking about the mayor of Fort Collins, Colorado, the mayor of Newberry, Florida, both of whom are forward party, by the way. And they just want to do right by their people. Shocker. And that's what their constituents want. So they, they have said, you know what? I'm not left or right. I'm forward. And then when their constituents ask them what that means, then they just tell them what they're trying to do as mayor, as county executive, et cetera, et cetera. Can someone be then a forward Democrat? Or a forward Republican or a forward independent? Yes. So for this moment, before we are established and, and you know organized as a party in each state, we're encouraging people who are currently Democrats or currently Republicans to identify with us as forward Republicans or, or forward Democrats so that people can begin to see who are the kinds of folks who we're bringing together. And I think ultimately will be defined by the candidates who affiliate with us. And once we get organized and are able to give people resources and support their candidacies, presumably they'll come to us fully. And to sign up for that, you essentially have to say that you believe in voting reforms that will make it easier for more enfranchisement. You have to address like your four term limits. You're for these kinds of reforms that would make 
democracy in America in our democratic republic more accessible. Is that right? Yeah, you, you have to be pro-structural reforms that improve your accountability to voters. And happily, there are elected officials who actually want that. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want that, then you're probably not a forward aligned official. And we're also looking for people who are willing to have that civilized debate, you know, who are willing to actually seek the best policies and be open minded. Maybe it doesn't come exactly underneath the parameters of how you used to define yourself or as a Republican or as a Democrat. Maybe the answer is somewhere in between. Maybe it's a completely new answer that neither party is putting forward. And so we're asking people to be open minded, to be civil and to obey the Constitution and uphold rule of law. How are you going to play in this upcoming presidential election? Because it is, I mean, we could end up with a Donald Trump presidency again. And of course, January 6th, to me, is unforgivable in any context. And so what are you guys thinking about with this upcoming presidential? Well, first of all, I think it's really important to distinguish us from No Labels. So No Labels is uh, also a a group that has functioned uh, in this sort of middle ground. They have a Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress, which has done some things, and you may have heard about them. And they're probably going to launch a presidency and a vice president candidate in the upcoming election. That's not us. You know, we're actually a long-term thinking party that is looking to how do you build the infrastructure? How do you build the state and local connections that are really necessary for representation in the long term? But I know that people feel an enormous urgency, as do we. I mean, I resigned from the Republican Party on January 7th, so I, I know that urgency, and that's why I'm here today. So we do feel an urgency to participate in a way that we can that doesn't interrupt our longer term goals. So, Johanna, I have news for you. Your vote is not going to matter in 2024 because you're in California. My vote's not going to matter because I'm in New York. (laughs) Carrie's vote's not going to matter because she's in Massachusetts. Whose votes are going to matter? Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, maybe Nevada, maybe North Carolina. So you have five or six states where it is going to matter. Probably four, it's definitely going to matter. So what the Forward Party is going to do is we're going to recruit, enlist, and boost 500 sane, moderate, local candidates. We're talking school board, city council, mayor, in those five target states with a thesis that every sane local candidate will have 50 or so friends and neighbors who come out to support them. And so if you have 500 more sane local candidates, you have 25,000 more non-Trump voters coming out where it will matter in a race that'll probably be decided by two to 300,000 votes total. There are a lot of listeners of this podcast who have reached out to me who are frustrated, Andrew, that they do not actually matter because they're in state, not Michigan, Pennsylvania, you know, the key states, Arizona, that will decide this election. So you're saying those people who are frustrated need to get involved at the very local level right now in this election cycle. Well, they should know is like, look, the system is rigged so that they're right. Their votes don't matter. And so what we have to do is we have to reach out to the voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. And the way we're going to do that is by boosting civic minded candidates, some of whom have never run for office again, and saying, look, let's say it's rural Wisconsin and the Republican is going to run unopposed. 
how about you run against them for that seat? And then if you run against them, 50 of maybe more, 100, 200 people that are like you in your community will come out to the polls and those people are not going to support Donald Trump. They're going to support someone else. So our goal is to boost hundreds of local candidates who can get tens of thousands of sane, moderate, rational voters to the polls in 24 so that the odds of a Trump sequel go down. And that's the kind of actual impact that I think people want uh, with their energies. If that sounds like a worthy project to you, go to forwardparty.com, sign up, maybe even donate 20 bucks, because I guarantee you that the $20 will be better spent in Wisconsin and Arizona and Georgia than it will in any of the states that we're beaming in from. Do you have promising candidates already recruited who are running in some of these local elections that you can like call out? Happily, we have robust operations in some of those states. Uh, Arizona, we're particularly strong. You know, we have very active members in Pennsylvania in a very big way. So we're not starting from zero. I mean, we are already the third biggest political party in the country by resources. In year two, we have hundreds of thousands of members around the country. And there are people chomping at the bit in those states saying, put me in, coach. And one of the fun things about these local races, Johanna, is if you put two, three, four thousand dollars into those candidates and campaigns, that's actually significant. Right now, a lot of the people you who are listening to this right now uh, despair because they're like, oh, my money's not going to matter in this multi-billion dollar race. Probably right again. So wise up, get smart, and let's invest it where it actually will make a difference in that local candidate in Wisconsin, PA, Arizona, et cetera. I was just speaking with Kristen Soltis Anderson, and she was saying either it's going to be a massive turnout in the presidential race or, or people will become so discouraged if it's the same two candidates, they, they may just stay home. And, you know, our best chance to, to have an impact in that case, if people become discouraged, if they just say, this is, uh, you know, this, this is just a terrible replay and I'm not going to get involved, is to have those down ballot candidates So maybe they're not coming out for the presidential race, but they'll come out for the down ballot candidates and then they'll vote for the the more reasonable candidate when they're there. Do you have down ballot candidates in Arizona already recruited to run as forward party? Yes, we do. There are actually four state legislators in Arizona who already identify as forward Democrats. And we could even have someone like the uh, recorder of Maricopa County, which is a big deal. It's like Secretary of State of the biggest county in Arizona, who's going to run as just out and out forward because he was a Republican. And frankly, the Republicans have lost their minds in Arizona. <laughs> so, he, so we have candidates. The great thing about what me and Carrie are describing is it's real. Unlike most of the stuff that's out there, you know, like, and, and this does drive me nuts. We all know the problems, but who the heck is actually trying to build the solution? We are, and we want you to join us. Yeah. No, you're right. And it's so frustrating. Like this morning, I had to go on and talk about Eric Adams. (laughs) I know you ran against Eric Adams, Andrew. And of course, you know, his frustration he has on immigration. But it's like Sean Spicer and I are talking, and it's frustrating because 
you know, if we were dealing with this in a holistic way, we would, as a nation, bring all resources to bear. We would bring our law enforcement. We would bring our churches, our institutions. We would bring people together. We would go on the ground and we would say, these are human beings come to our country. They're desperate. What are we going to do so that we don't, if we build a wall, fine, we should secure that border, fine, but we can't leave people on the other side to starve or we will have a long-term problem of what's happened with all of those people. We have the ability to whom much is given, much is expected to take on all of these problems. And yet we're not. We're yelling at each other, right? Like, how do we solve for that? Well, one of the reasons why we aren't taking these on is because they're such good issues. You know, you're so passionate about this. Other people are uh, passionate about it in the opposite direction. There were so many, there are hot button issues that could and should be solved by our, our Congress that have just been left alone and passed on from generation of politician to the next generation of politician because they know that they get people to come out to the ballot box and vote uh, on that single issue because they're passionate about it. And uh, almost every president has a little honeymoon period where they have, you know, both houses of Congress and they, they have a clean, you know, two years to do whatever they want to do. Has anyone solved health care? Has anyone solved immigration? Has anyone addressed the social security uh, cliff that's coming up? No, they haven't. And they don't because they know that they're saving it in reserve because it's good to campaign on those issues and to say, oh, someone else caused me not to solve that issue. We want to bring forward candidates, literally bring forward candidates, that who can uh, be willing to actually solve the problems. There, there will be other problems. We don't have to save these same problems again and again and again. We can get new problems. Trust me. The world is never perfect. <laughs> Let's get some new problems. Truly, but we used the Romney-Healy solution to healthcare, right? And at the federal level <laughs> with Obamacare. And then we got a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> I think uh, both Governor, now Senator Romney and I would uh, say that it's not exactly <laughs> what we did in Massachusetts that was, uh, you know, promulgated throughout the United States. Um, but but why why weren't we consulted? Why didn't why wasn't the Massachusetts experiment used as a you know, springboard to actually discuss the fact that most Americans are not happy with their health care. Most Americans worry about access to health care. Seventy percent of all of the bankruptcies in the country are the result of medical bills. And we signed people up when we did the plan that, you know, I know was modeled in Massachusetts. We signed people up for a new tax. So my brother, who does heating and air in Galesburg, Illinois, was pretty pissed at our plan because he had a new tax on him that he didn't know he had a crap plan. He didn't know he was going to go bankrupt. And so for him, it was paying more money to a private company for something that, you know, we saw during a global pandemic affected all of us. And Andrew, it affects small businesses. Like, that's the other thing. What a handicap to our small businesses that we have not solved for healthcare. I was a, a small business owner, and when I was running for president, I would talk about this, like, look, we're setting up our small business owners to have all these burdens that makes it harder for them to be good to their people. Because guess what? All of my incentives are to make you a contractor, so I don't have to deal with your healthcare benefits. And the cost just goes up and up and up. And then you yell at me, be like, hey, do the right thing. It's like, you're actually making it very, very difficult for me to, to do the right thing. Uh, and as we're having this conversation, it's in the backdrop of Kevin McCarthy getting ousted and there you had eight extremists who voted 
with the Democratic Party or vice versa, the Democratic Party voted with the extremists. And now we don't have a functioning legislative body in a time when we're going to run out of money by mid-November. And as Kerry said, like, it's just bad incentives. Like the, the folks looked at it and said, you know what, you know, it's going to be your problem, not mine. Meanwhile, it's the country's problem. And this is what makes people more and more despondent and disillusioned. And if you can, if you want to have a have an imagination experiment, imagine if, you know, 10 years from now, we're in a similar situation, but suddenly there's 20, 30, 40 yes. members in Congress, yes. right? Then what happens? Oh, suddenly both parties need to be courting that center, those four party members who can actually moderate the tendencies on one side or another and try to find leaders who represent more than just you know, 40 or 51% of the people. So this is what we're trying to build. This is the goal. And we think that long-term, it can uh, reweave the fabric of America in a way that nothing else can. You have to bring the forward coalition together with you to do anything. I mean, that's the thing I was thinking about. How could this resolve? And God, I would love for a problem solver's name to emerge and for there to have to be some bipartisanship. But more likely, it's going to be a far right candidate who gets the caucus to vote with the far right candidate, and then nothing gets done because their priorities will never pass the Senate. And so it's in action. Yeah, yeah. Your vision is what we'd love to see, which would be some kind of coalition governance. And you have people crossing party aisles and saying, look, guys, let's actually do the people's business instead of doing the party's business. And I took a little bit of heat for saying, hey, why did the Democrats all vote uh, out Kevin McCarthy? Because that's what their leadership told them to do. And so you wound up with like a lockstep vote. Andrew, can you imagine the Republicans saving Nancy Pelosi? They'd never do it. No, on the face of it, though, Johanna, um, you did have every Democrat voting with Matt Gates uh, and, and and seven jerks, uh, you know. <laughs> yes, but Andrew, also, I've talked to some of them who are moderate. I was texting with one of them, and he said not once did McCarthy ever reach across the aisle for Democrats. The first thing he did, the the thing that got him ousted, was he finally said. 40-day or whatever small budget plan, but they have never gotten outreach from them. This is the tough thing, Johanna, is that it just became an either-or. Clearly, a lot of this is on Kevin McCarthy, but to the average American, you look up and you just, again, want things to work better. If you had, as you said, like an unusual caucus from both parties come together and say, look, guys, let's actually change it up a little bit. Let's make it so it's not just strictly team blue, team red then you'd actually see some really interesting uh, legislation come out instead of, you know, like the, the current version where we're praying for some form of stability. But in the end, they're still so beholden to this primary system. When they go home, they're still Democrats, they're still Republicans, and they know that the more they collaborate, the more they, you know, give any sort of support or any sort of solace to the other side, you know, they are personally endangering themselves because there is not a party that can step up and take the place of that Republican machine or Democratic machine and say, we can bring you funding, we can bring you volunteers, you can actually act out your conscience, you can do what you think is right for the American people because we, we're protecting you. 
You do the right thing, it's the money. we'll protect you. It's the money, but it's <laughs> also the just... people. It's also people. You need, you need volunteers. You need people who are going to come out and, and do the work of campaigns. And it's not easy to campaign. It's not all money. You could have all the money you want, but if you don't have any supporters, you're not going to win. I will say, Johanna, we are in fundraising mode, so we, we are practical humans. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's the money. Well, and Andrew, I was saying I was complimenting you at the beginning. Your campaign, I know it was an early upstart in Iowa. My dad is a small business owner. He was in Keokuk, Iowa at V's a restaurant and brew pub, and you rented out his restaurant and brew pub for a night. And I'll tell you, you had some fans. I don't think any one of them showed up to caucus. That was a problem. And I said to him afterwards, do you think your staff will go caucus? I mean, they're restaurant workers, right? How would they have the time? They didn't have the time. Yeah, again, 6.5% of Iowans. So they would have been unusual if they had shown up to caucus. Uh, I did win the youth vote. So if you just stopped the voting at approximately age uh, 18, I might have uh, won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting because even like Nancy Mace, I was uh, paying close attention to. She, of course, voted to oust Kevin McCarthy. She's been a little bit more moderate, but she specifically is potentially going to have a new district because they are redistricting in North Carolina. As I understand, she could end up with a more conservative district. And so she voted to oust Kevin McCarthy to essentially protect herself, is what I understand. Again, incentives, corrupt incentives uh, lead to bad behavior. If you had better incentives, imagine people who just needed to do the right thing and then were rewarded for it. No, you're right. Okay, so we need to do some predictions. Carrie, you were kind of playing into this early, but Andrew has written a book about the darkest prediction, and I do want the darkest prediction of what could happen this election cycle. And then I want to leave our listeners on what's the most hopeful thing that could happen out of this election. So what's the darkest? Andrew, you start. Sure. I I think Trump wins again. I think it's a, a real possibility. Right now, Trump is, let's say, tied with Joe Biden, and there's a real chance that Trump just wins in part because of the dynamics of this race, I think Trump winning would be a catastrophe. Again, as you can tell, a forward party is going to be trying to boost sane local candidates in the swing states to reduce the chances of a Trump sequel. But right now, that is the darkest possibility I see. What happens if Trump wins? What's the worst thing that can happen with a Donald Trump presidency? You don't have to look very far, Johanna. He said it. It's retribution. It's weaponization for real of various agencies. There are people, his political enemies, that you can actually expect some incredibly dangerous uh, degradation of our institutions. I mean, he learned from his mistakes last time. If his mistakes were surrounding himself with some reasonable, sane, principled people, I'm sure many of whom Kerry knew, this time it would just be crazy town. It'd be sycophants. It would be burn the place down types whose single criterion would be how loyal they are to Trump. It would be a catastrophe because he has zero incentive to play it straight. A couple of examples that heard of is defunding the VA because he doesn't like military vets. Imagine that. Defunding schools that have immigrant students, which I'm going to suggest is a lot of schools (laughs) around the country. So just really um, destructive, corrosive behaviors. And then him going on TV every day and just debasing our way of life in ways big and small. We have to not let any of this happen. But unfortunately, I see it as a very real 
possibility? My worst one is the same. As I mentioned, I was a Republican for more than 40 years. I resigned the day after January 6th because I had been hoping that the Republican Party would come to its senses. After four years of the Trump administration, I thought that perhaps they would bring it to closure and move on properly, and that there would be some semblance of perhaps what the, the party values that, you know, that I had signed on to years ago. And I didn't see that. And, and in fact, what I saw was an expansion of the same lies and the, the destructive behaviors that occurred during the four years of the administration. And I also am you know, very concerned about the fact that Trump has been pretty clear that uh, were he to be reelected, we would not be supportive of Ukraine in the way that we have been. And what are we going to do? Are we going to open the door for Russian aggression in Western Europe? Is that a scenario? Are we looking to have a broader war in Western Europe in our time? This is not an acceptable outcome. And so if he thinks that he can politicize this particular war for his advantage and then win and then actually make good on that claim, just as he made you know, he was preparing to make good on his plan to uh, withdraw from Afghanistan in the way that he did, which I considered to be uh, a mistake of both administrations. What's the hope, Carrie? What's the hope? <laughs> my hope, my optimistic imagination uh, running wild would be that one of the, the candidates who was on the stage in Simi Valley breaks through. And, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't support, you know, some of them, maybe most of them. Nikki Haley? I was very impressed with Nikki Haley's grasp of foreign policy and, and her willingness to stand up and offer herself as an alternative. So I think the, the best scenario that could happen is that people both on the Democratic side and on the Republican side have the courage and the clarity of vision to explain to the American people why having a redo of 2020 is absolutely unhealthy for our democracy and that we need to take advantage of this fantastic system that we have and make sure that there are actually candidates on the ballot that the American people want to vote for. I've been saying this since election night 2022. I said it to a communications official for the Biden world, and I'm afraid they told me in April I had like one week to make my case. And here we are. And now in October, I think it's going to be Biden. I think maybe there's a different Republican. I don't know, Andrew, on that point of Biden, you helped get him elected. What do you think? Like, you haven't heard from anybody in the administration wanting your help this time around? I'm with Kerry. I wish there was a real choice on that side. I've said it publicly. I think that on one hand, Joe could say, look, my job was to defeat Trump. I did it. It's time to pass the torch. That would be one great thing and have a George Washington statesman type moment. And then, by the way, we would freaking love on Joe and he'd deserve it. Number two is to say, hey, let's have a competitive primary and then Governor Newsom and Governor Whitmer and Governor Pritzker and everyone else throw their hat in the ring. And then Joe runs and he's like, I'm happy to like, like, like have a real process for my reelection. Number three <laughs> is that uh, we acknowledge that he'll be 82 in 2024 and say, let's have a primary for my vice president and successor. Okay, Cuomo asked me about this, Andrew. She is the first female woman of color to ever hold the job of vice president. If we made her compete for her own job, don't you think people would be like, that would be outrage in the street over this? Wait, Johanna, why would that be the least bit outrageous? You'd say, look, She's confident that she would be the victor in that process. 
And so let's let the voters decide. And if the voters bring Kamala back as vice president, then we'd all say, well, it's fine. We had a real process. And now that that's what the people want. They don't make the old white man who would be the one to stand for a primary. Again, I'm very much for Joe standing, too. I'm, I'm presenting different versions of anything that would be preferable to the status quo. But I, you know, I mean, I listed them in order of my preference. Honestly, I think Joe stepping aside George Washington style would, would be my uh, would would be my number one. And and Mitt Romney gave a great example of how to make a dignified exit. To say, were I to be reelected, I would be in my eighties, and and I feel I shouldn't do that. And I agree with uh, with Kerry that Mitt Romney was a real role model. Um, you know, I mean, I, I Joe could take his speech almost word for word. <laughs> that, that'd be, yeah. Yeah, his or or Nancy Pelosi, although Nancy didn't step back fully. But it is. It's very dangerous because we could enter a recession. Are we going to enter a recession, Andrew? In my opinion, yes, we will. I think the recession got pushed back from 23 to 24. And there are a number of market indicators that say as much. Unfortunately, I agree. You do. I do agree. And I wish that people were paying more attention to the commercial real estate crisis that's happening in, in most of our major cities right now. And the government should be focused on how are they going to collaborate to try to repurpose these buildings that are standing vacant in the core of our most important cities. And pretty soon the tax base will be gone. And only 2% of these buildings are currently being uh, repurposed, who are, which are standing vacant at this time. So we have, we have big crises, economic crises coming up even beyond what we're experiencing right now, and we need to be ready for them. Is Eric Adams doing a good job, Andrew? I uh, have made it a policy not to comment on uh, Eric Adams unless uh, I'm, (laughs) you know, I mean... You're very comfortable here. Just tell me, what do you think? You know, I would have done some things differently. Certainly, I think some of the rhetoric is very unhelpful. And typically, if I need a partner, I don't badmouth them (laughs) publicly. That's just, you know, like not, not wouldn't have been my approach. Yeah. No, he would he be a candidate for forward party? Has he reached out? You know, I, 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 I we haven't had that conversation. I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't think he should. He's got some problems in some of the fundraising stuff too. Character, I loved that. I think you both have exceptional character. I'm really grateful. I know that you're still creating with Forward Party. There are some things out there where there's a lot of questions. I got a lot more clarity. It sounds like this next go around, you've got to start bringing in the money. But congratulations on consolidating to get to the third largest party, which, you know, America could use some more parties. It could. Indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johanna. Please say hey to your dad for me. All right. I know that one was a long one, but you guys, Carrie and Andrew, were fantastic. I'm interested. Count me interested. I mean, I don't know. I'm also interested, of course, as you know, as what the Problem Solvers Caucus is doing. I don't have any expectation that a no-labels candidate could win. But I think what Forward is doing with a local grassroots activism could be interesting. I mean, we'll see. As you know, on Press Advance, we work to respect, empower, include. So for all of you out here, send me your thoughts. You can find me on social media at Johanna Masca. And you can always rate and review. Let us know what you're thinking of the podcast. <laughs> 